0: Thank you. This fall, we're taking the months of October and November to give our attention to the convicting messages and the stunning word pictures that are found in the last book of the Bible. And today, we will mine the wealth of Revelation 4 and 5, and I promise you, we will be the richer for it. The purpose of the book of Revelation is clear. It was written to encourage Christians living under harsh persecution in the first century, right up through the 21st century. In fact, Christians today are experiencing political, judicial, social, and physical persecution that actually exceeds the first century in scope, even in the United States. Listen, just the day before yesterday, this past Friday, Donald and Evelyn Knapp, for 47 years, an ordained ministry couple who operate a wedding chapel in Coeur Idaho, were ordered by city officials to conduct and to celebrate a same-sex wedding or face the consequences. The consequences? 180 days in jail and a $1,000 fine for each day they are not in compliance with the order. Now, this is not science fiction. This is not hearsay. This happened day before yesterday. So, one week of polite refusal on their part means three and a half years in jail and a $7,000 fine. The Apostle John's intent to encourage Christians in the first century is relevant in the 21st century. And it's evident in his opening words in Revelation 1-3, he said, blessed, or we could substitute the word encouraged, is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed, or encouraged, are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. So shall it be. Amen." Now those of you who are familiar with the content of the book of Revelation, you know about the plagues and the wrath and the suffering and the pain and the doom that are described there as God pours out his judgment on Satan and his cohorts and you are wondering, Where is the encouragement in that? Well, the answer is in having a higher view of the book of Revelation. I can summarize it and oversimplify it by saying that Revelation is the documentation of a perpetual and a colossal battle between God and the forces of evil and it is unimaginably ugly and painful and difficult. But God wins. He is the victor and that is the ultimate reason for our encouragement. Jesus has conquered. He has won. Satan can do his worst deploying every damnable weapon in his arsenal. It won't be enough. God is victorious. Evil will be crushed. It will be rendered powerless for all eternity. And so encouragement for us as Christ followers in the 21st century is knowing the end of the story. Knowing the one who is the last man standing at the end. Knowing the one who fights for us. The one who prevails for us. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to the scripture text so far in Revelation chapters 1 through 3. We have seen Jesus unveiled. We have seen the church unveiled. Now beginning in chapter 4, we're transported. We're transported from earth earth. To heaven and we begin to see things through the Apostle John's eyes that are too awesome for the imagination, that are too majestic for words too incredible to describe, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, John tries, and we are the beneficiaries of his 2,000-year-old vision. In chapter 4, we clearly see God enthroned, and in chapter 5, we clearly see Jesus the Lamb, and the picture is mind-blowing because it is the only place in Scripture where we see them together as one in the realm of the eternal, in heaven, the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us, the place to which our deceased loved ones in Christ have already gone, the place to which we will go unless we choose to be bound by the world and the flesh. But when we clearly see God the Father and Jesus the Son beyond the veil today, through John's eyes, we will instinctively respond with unselfconscious and unrestrained worship. So if you're ready, if you're ready now, I'm going to pull back the veil that separates earth and heaven, and you may want to follow along with the words on the screen, or you may just want to close your eyes and listen and imagine. Revelation 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders And they were dressed in white and they had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne seven lamps were blazing. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The Creator God sits enthroned at the center of the universe And did you count them? The references to the throne here in the fourth chapter of Revelation. It is mentioned no less than ten times. And the repetition strongly implies that our sovereign Lord has ultimate authority and ultimate majesty. He is seated on the throne in absolute control of everything in the universe. And I wonder what it is that shakes your confidence that might cause you to doubt this transcendent reality? Was it when your doctor gave you an unexpected diagnosis of a terminal illness that you cried out, God, are you there? Was it when your unmarried daughter came home from college to tell you that she is pregnant? Was it when your company fired you from your job after 20 years, just before you were ready to retire, denying you your benefits? Was it when your house burned to the ground? Was it when a loved one was crippled in a car accident? Was it when your son was imprisoned for dealing drugs? Was it when your spouse left you to make a new life with your friend? Was it when your stepfather abused you? Was it when your mother abandoned you? Was it when your brother was killed in Afghanistan? Have you ever cried out in the darkness? God, where are you? Are you in control? Do you care? John saw God at the center of the universe in absolute control. And even when he is silent or he seems absent, And even when bad things happen to his people, as they did in John's day, even when the wicked prosper, even when the ungodly are in the majority, the Lord God is still on his throne. Rulers in this world rise and fall. Earthly thrones are occupied, shaken, and then vacated, but God is always eternally seated on his throne in the center of the universe in absolute sovereignty and the apostle John saw him there and what a sight it was, a revelation of God unlike anywhere else in Scripture in the throne room of heaven and his appearance was like brilliant translucent jewels encircled by an emerald rainbow surrounded by lesser thrones occupied by celestial beings in white with gold crowns who, along with almost indescribable creatures, Worship him day and night. And all this is happening right now. You understand that. And one day, one day after earth's little while, we can join them to experience the greater life without limits. But I must ask you a question before we move on. When you look at your life, is God at the center Do you have him enthroned in your heart? What position does he hold in your life? Is he Lord? Or is he more like a consultant that you, as supreme ruler, occasionally turn to for help or advice? Take an honest look at your life, your thoughts, your words, your appetites, your actions and ask yourself whether God is there in your life at the center, enthroned. Should anything change today in you? Will anything change today in you? In Isaiah 6, when the prophet saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted, he said... Woe to me, I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And because of his brokenness, because of his humility, in the presence of the holiness of God, he was cleansed, and then he was sent out into his world as a witness for the rest of his life. And my friends, that's who we need to be down deep, humble, and ready to let him send us out to influence others for the rest of our lives. Well, I must move on, but once again, you can follow along as I read aloud from Revelation chapter 5, or if you prefer, just close your eyes and listen. We have just seen God on his throne, now see Jesus the Lamb in Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll sealed with seven seals, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, He came and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And when He had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That's a hundred million angels. They encircled the throne. In a loud voice they sang, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and power and glory forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So did you count them? Five more references to the throne in this chapter, and this time it's the lamb. That is John's focus. But did you notice that Jesus is given the very same worship that is offered up to God? There's no difference. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb in chapter 5, just as they did before the throne of God in chapter 4. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise, honor, glory, and power forever and ever. The Lamb of God is worthy. He is worth it. (laughs) So Abraham... Was it worth it to leave your home and wander around Canaan living in a tent and in the end have nothing but a son and a cave and unfulfilled promises? Moses, was it worth it to give up the pleasures and treasures of Egypt to lead a couple of million slaves through the wilderness and then not get to enter the promised land yourself? Jeremiah, Was it worth it to preach over 60 years and not have a single positive response to your message? Daniel, was it worth it to pray three times a day and wind up in a lion's den? Isaiah, was it worth it to volunteer for service to God when as a result of that service you were sawn in two? Mary, was it worth it to submit to God's will? giving birth to the savior of the world only to watch him be crucified on a Roman cross? Peter, was it worth it to establish the church on the day of Pentecost only to be crucified upside down? John, was it worth it to preach the gospel, to plant churches and in the end wind up exiled alone on a barren island? And have you ever asked yourself, is it worth it to live a life of faith in God when so many others aren't? Is it worth it to get up on the Lord's Day morning for worship when you were out late Saturday night and you're tired? Is it worth it to get up 30 minutes early for your quiet time with the Lord when you'd rather sleep until the last possible minute? Is it worth it to share your faith with a friend or with a family member and then have them avoid you? Is it worth it to give to God's work when you might rather spend it on yourself? Is it worth it to tell the truth even when lying would be so much easier and so much more pleasant? Is it worth it to sacrifice your time and serve when it doesn't seem like anyone else has a conscience about it? Is it worth it to walk in obedience to God's truth when most of the people in your world seem to be going the other way? Is it worth it to live a God-honoring life knowing you are in the minority? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes, it is worth it. The vision of the glory of the Lamb in Revelation 5 describes the worthiness, the worthiness. Of the Lamb. He's worthy because he was slain, and with his blood he purchased souls for God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Living a committed Christian life is worth whatever it costs because he is worth it. Jesus is worthy. And so, at the very end of Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. John records the living creatures and the elders fall down and worship him who lives forever and ever. And at the very end of Revelation chapter 5, verse 14, John records that those same living creatures and elders fell down and worshiped. Both chapters today conclude with worship. Because nothing else makes sense in the celestial presence of the enthroned God and the worthy Lamb than to fall down and worship with the heavenly hosts. And it's not a boring scene in heaven, I'm telling you. You'll be surrounded with wonder and excitement, joy and activity, and we're going to find out a lot more about that in the weeks ahead. So then, if worship in heaven is so dynamic, so fulfilling, why doesn't it translate to worship on earth? And I know sometimes the problem is an ill-prepared worship leader or an ill-mannered preacher, (laughs) but let's be honest. Sometimes the problem resides in the worshiper. Now, if it's a ball game and you're a sports fan, you leave home early, maybe even get to the parking lot early enough to have a tailgate party with your friends. You check and recheck to make sure you've got the tickets. $150 for that ticket, no problem, especially since you might be able to get a seat on the front row, the 50-yard line, or the half-court line, or the third base line, and you're dressed for the game in the right colors and the team jersey, and you got your face painted And you're pumped before you walk into the stadium. And you're so excited and nervous, you're hyperventilating. You're glad to sit by strangers, shoulder to shoulder. And you'll greet them like long lost friends. And you'll stand and sing at the top of your lungs the national anthem and take me out to the ball game. And you'll clap and cheer for the good plays, And you'll react emotionally to the bad plays by your team or the bad calls by the officials and whether your team is ahead or behind you are engrossed throughout the game you wouldn't think of leaving early and then if your team wins you celebrate and you're satisfied because now you know you are going to have a good week ahead right now I'm going to put my tongue in my cheek like this I'm going to test your sense of humor. In contrast to the ball game, now it's Saturday or Sunday and it's time for church. And if you go early, it's only so you can take the guest parking and the handicapped parking places before the guests and the handicapped folks arrive. I haven't noticed any tailgate parties in our parking lot yet. You routinely come in late. Be sure to try to get a seat close to the exit so you can get out early and beat the Baptist to the smorgasbord. <laughs> and hey, everything at church, everything at church ought to be free right so maybe I'll throw a buck or two in the plate I happen to have the right bills and you know how you dress doesn't matter when you go to church so you just roll out of bed and wear whatever you had on at the mud wrestling contest or demolition derby the night before and of course you need your space So you don't want to sit too close to anybody. You don't engage with people. And you hope no one ties you up after church with conversation because it will delay your arrival at the restaurant for lunch. And you don't like to sing in church. And you don't like to stand up or clap. But you like to file your nails or text your friends or check your phone messages during communion or teaching time. And as far as showing emotion in worship, you adopt the posture of a wooden Indian (laughs) and the facial expressions of someone with digestive issues. (laughs) Here's the thing. Authentic worship centers our attention on the enthroned God and the worthy Jesus. And it fuses our souls into the fellowship of heaven while we still live on earth in anticipation of the day when we will no longer be seeing through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And before worship, our lives are like a littered beach at low tide with all kinds of rubbish, the distressing sight. And then the tide of worship comes in and soon it's all gone. The dead sea urchins and the seaweed and the jellyfish, the plastic bags and the empty cans and the rest. The cleansing sea flows over the beach restoring its beauty and so we are released from our shallow selfish outlook on life by the common act of worship and you know what makes that reoccurring cleansing by worship possible don't you? it's another kind of cleansing tide the one that still flows from the cross of Christ to forgive your sins, to change your life. And I wonder this morning, has the tide of his cleansing blood flowed into and over your life? It can happen. It can happen today. Our section hosts and pastors will meet you where you're seated after the service to minister to whatever need that you might have. Just now, will you stand and pray with me before our final worship song? Father, as we read the words from Revelation 4 and 5 together today and let them sink into our heart of hearts, we know that John couldn't have made this up. There's no way. It is your kindness that gives us the opportunity to pull back the veil and to see what is happening now and what is yet to happen and begin to realize it can be our future your desire that it be our future and so we pray Lord that every one of us will lay hold of that truth that reality today and never let go of it in Jesus name amen